Welcome to this special late night edition of Real Deal Podcast on this 14th of January 2021. I'm your host, The Real Gerald Quinn. Will not be with you uh, for long. Won't be with you long. Um, keep this rather brief, uh, but still a lot to talk about. And, you know, we all know what I'm going to talk about here. If, you, if you're looking on my screen, the new, the Brooklyn Nets have a new all-star in one, of course, James Harden, who became the latest superstar player to force his way out of a situation that in many respects he created. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this was a trade that, uh, this is a trade that was supposed to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen as far as him growing in Brooklyn. I thought that Philly would be the leader in the clubhouse, but Harden's behavior got to a point to where it even, I don't think, I, I think it probably drove up the value of, uh, it probably drove up what Houston was going to, was willing to, um, was, was asking for from Philadelphia. Philadelphia just wasn't willing to give, uh, was just willing, was not willing to give them uh, those extra, those multiple draft picks plus uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, plus, you, know, you still got Bradley Bill out there. So Philly, you know, did not have to make the move for Harden, even though I thought they, you know, I thought they, they should be in the mix and we're going to, and certainly we're in the mix, but they were not willing to, they were not willing to part ways with one, um, Ben Simmons. But getting to the Brooklyn part is, and you can see on my screen the compensation, um, Houston uh, with getting three unprotected picks from Brooklyn, the four pick swaps, Cleveland's uh, first round pick for this year. In all, Houston's going to end up with, end up with eight first-round picks plus uh, Victor Oladipo. Pacers, of course, get Karis LeVert and a Houston second-round pick. Cleveland, you don't see on the screen because it was too much information, get Jared Allen and also, of course, um, it's, a, the role, it's a role player that I can't even think of right now, uh, Torian Prince. Torian Prince. So, you know, a four-team trade. And listen, I think this trade had to be made if you're Brooklyn. Um, no, I mean, I, I think both teams had to make it. Houston wanted to get Harden out there as soon as possible, considering his behavior and just how toxic he had just turned that had had turned that culture uh, game in and game out. And then, and then again, if you're not going to put put up thirty a game, then like we really got to get you out there. I mean, Harden. Eli Harden was the definition of being checked out in these last, you look at his numbers for his last four or five games, barely cracking, wasn't even cracking 20 points a game. So he clearly was checked out and clearly had quit on the team in order to uh, force this deal. But Brooklyn absolutely had to make this move because, um, and we'll get to it, uh, you know, this Kyrie Irving situation has taken on a absolute life of its own. They cannot trust Kyrie Irving moving forward. I thought you couldn't even come into the season completely trusting Kyrie Irving physically because I mentioned this even, you know, before the season started, you know, how Kyrie Irving has been, you know, has been injury prone. Um, 
and that once James Harden became available, that they had to, you know, had to jump on, you know, had to make that move. They had to it just, if, if not for just Kyrie Irving insurance. I mean, period. Like, there's, there's no two ways about it. Like, I know what I'm getting out of Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant, if Kevin Durant's healthy, Kevin Durant's one of the top two players in, in the world. Remember, he's he was the best player in the world before he got injured. And he's getting close to that level again. He's very close. Uh, he's been phenomenal this year. But Kyrie Irving, you just, you knew something was going to happen. You knew something was going to happen. It was just a matter of what. Um. And I will, we'll get to the Kyrie Irving situation a little bit later, but this move had to be made had to be made by Brooklyn. Um, they can listen. You have you have James Harden and you have Kevin Durant. You can figure out the rest. Like you can go out there on the scrap meet on the buyout market, get some get get a rim protector, get some depth, get some uh, get some get some more shooters, get some more get some more people to come off the bench. You can. That's not hard to replace. Uh, that's not like they have the two most important pieces in Kevin Durant and James Harden. You have James Harden in a situation where he's not the guy. You have James Harden in a situation where he's not, he, where he will not have the pressure of being the guy of being, of carrying a team or of being the lead, the, the number one. We know James Harden in the playoffs is not a number one. He's a great number one in the regular season, but in the playoffs, that has not translated. Tours, uh, that is not trans game is not translated in the playoffs. It doesn't need to in the playoffs, uh, playing alongside Kevin Durant. James Harden is a overqualified number two. And I listen, I don't expect the question to me is what you know, what 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 does Brooklyn do with this, with, with Kyrie Irving and have what transpires with that? I don't think James Harden is going to be a problem at all with Brooklyn. I think James Harden is at the point where he is, this is, this is it. I mean, this is it as far as he's out of, he's out of excuses. He's out of like, you know, you've heard James Harden on occasions in his last, you know, you've heard James Harden say we're not good enough multiple times, multiple occasions throughout the course of his career in the last two to three years. He said in 2019, when they lost to Golden State in six games, where you know we're not we weren't we're not good enough. Next thing you know, Chris Paul is on his way to Oklahoma City. He says it uh, this year, or uh, a couple of days ago in the press in that you know that one minute pre- press conference. You know we're not good enough, and he's he's in, he ends up in Brooklyn a day later. Now you're on a team with Kevin Durant, so now there's no excuses. You're on a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to a lesser extent. But you're playing with Kevin Durant in Eastern Conference. So that that we're not good enough shit is not going to fly anymore. So I expect James I, James Harden will I, – I fully expect James Harden will be will, – will return to being, you know, Mr. Regular Season and will, you know, will play great basketball. I fully expect that. I, I don't – I don't the, – the fit between Harden and, and, and Durant I think will be um, – will be fine. I don't think it'll be seamless, but I, I think because they haven't played together, um, or, you know, in a decade, basically. I mean, what, 2012, they haven't played together in almost in, like in, in nine years since 2012 on the same team since 2012 finals. I'm not including like the Olympics and that like that. I'm talking about in, in, on, in the NBA. But I think they'll be fine. 
Um, the question is, you know, what transpires? What do you do with this Kyrie Irving situation? And it's funny how both Kyrie Irving, to Kyrie Irving and James Harden, these situations are very similar because these situations come from were manifested by organizations empowering guys who are star players, but are guys who are not not leaders. These guys are these, you don't want these guys Harden or Kyrie Irving leading your franchise, especially Kyrie Irving. I mean, at least James Harden got his team to the Eastern Conference, to the Western Conference Finals, and, were, and was losing to Golden State. Kyrie Irving, as a number one, you know. They, you know, got the Celtics to the second round and, and then got them embarrassed. That's what, as they were embarrassed by the Milwaukee Bucks. We know Kyrie Irving is not a leader in the in, in the least bit. And at least James Harden, you know, at least James Harden was durable. It's durable. So again, I'm not concerned about James Harden's, you know, what transpired with, at the, with his run with, uh, at the end of his run with Houston, I think he clearly was trying to, you know, was doing everything possible to get out of that situation. A situation, again, that he created, that he created, that the uh, organization also created by, you know, giving him the keys, you know, basically, you know, the keys to the, uh, the, keys to the car. And this, you know, this trade and these situations with Kyrie with Irving, and Harden are really a referendum on organizations. And if you're an organization, you have to find that happy medium of pleasing your star player without giving him carte blanche to a point to where it where it can just destroy your organization, destroy your uh, destroy your franchise. It's a very fine, very fine line, very thin line because, listen, everybody, you know, there's one LeBron. Okay, there's one LeBron. You know, everybody is not built to, you know, have have all that, you know, have all the power, make this call, make that call as far as coaching, as far as personnel. And even, you know, even with the Lakers, those rosters were put together by uh, Rob Palenka. Yeah, LeBron signed off on them, but those most of those moves to the credit. You got to give Rob Palenka credit. You got to give even Magic credit for drafting some of those guys that allowed them to get Anthony Davis. But what's happening with these players is – they are players, superstar players are exposing weak organizations. Period. So, you know, your organization, yeah, you need star players to not only win games, but to sell tickets. But at the same time, you can't get that. You cannot, you have to say, you know, it's like a child. You have to, at, some, at a certain point, tell, you know, say no. You have to say no. We're not, no, we're not going to trade Chris Paul. And then that's where Houston messed up. That was the biggest mistake Houston made in that run when they had James Harden. I don't blame him for Dwight Howard. 
Um, the Chris Paul, you know, trading Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, with, I mean, that move, you know, it was just they signed their own death note, death note as an organization when that happened. That was it. Their run, when that move was made, their run was over. That was it. Their window was closed. It took Golden State, a dominant Golden State team, a Golden State team, a loaded all-time great Golden State team, back-to-back years to seven and six games and came within a whisker of beating them in a series in 2018. Came within a Chris Paul injury from beating Golden State. They were right there. That was a championship caliber team. And in 2019, they were not that, that that was a very closely contested series as well. It was a tough series. The series was tied at two. Uh, Golden State won two close games in games five and six. It was certainly disappointing in game six, but, you know, they were right there. Now, <laughs> you you trade all the draft capital, all this draft capital from Russell Westbrook and Matt and Chris Paul, all Chris Paul does is go it goes on to be second team All NBA and take a team that that frankly had no business making the playoffs in in, in Oklahoma City to you know within a, a game seven uh, playoffs in game seven in the first round against Houston last year and you see what Chris Paul is doing in Phoenix this year so Chris Paul clearly still has some gas left in the tank and look at Russell and look look at Russell Westbrook right now he looks. He is shot. He not doesn't look shot. He's shot. He's, he's, his, his days as a marquee player is over, are over. So you cannot, as an organization, you cannot allow a player to make moves that are going to sink your organization to appease the player. And when because what happens is if, if those moves don't work out, which they won't, because players aren't general managers, the player is going to leave regardless. <laughs> They're gonna put. You, did you see James Harden say, "Hey, nah, my bad. You know, y'all shouldn't. You know, it was my fault about the Chris. We shouldn't have traded Chris. You know, I'm just gonna hang in there for until my contract's up. No, not gonna do that shit. You're gonna be like, no, give me, give me the fuck up out of here. I want to play for a contender. I want to leave. I want, I want out of here ASAP." And again, you know, people can, can complain about players moving all they want. They can be player empowerment. The players drive this league, period. The players drive. There's no league without the, without superstar players, without without the players, without the superstar players in particular. They drive the league. It's only five positions on the court at the same time. If you have one of those guys, that guy is going to is going to command this. Is going to command that type of power, period. And you as an organization, if you have one of those guys, one of those five top five, top ten guys, you gotta build a you have to build a, a championship contender around that guy. And it's really not it's not hard to if you have a top ten, top five, top ten player to build a team around those players to to, to contend for a championship. It's not it's really not. It's not that difficult. Again, things, listen, Houston, things that ran their, their course in Houston, he was there for eight years. They were, they were not going, they were not going anywhere. 
uh, beyond this year. Even if he goes out there, plays hard, maybe they, they make the they would make the playoffs. Maybe they could win around that that situation had you know, you know, it, it ran its course. Same thing with Anthony Davis with New Orleans. That situation had ran its course. Yeah, they had seven years to build around a generational talent, and the best team they could build around him could only go uh, to the second round. And it wasn't because and it's not like unlike Harden. It's not like Anthony Davis wasn't killing people in the playoffs because he was. He was a, he was basically thirty and ten uh, for his career in the playoffs before he joined the Lakers. In his uh, in that short sample size, you know those couple of playoff appearances that he made with uh, New Orleans. So he wasn't the problem. Now again. I think Harden will be fine on uh, Brooklyn. I really do. Um, listen, I you know looking at you know Houston, get, you know gets eight first round picks, but none of those draft picks matter if you don't have an organization that knows what they're doing. Like in 2024, 2026, 2025, 2027, those should be high picks, and those should be lottery picks, and those should be probably top five picks. The Cleveland first round pick for this year, you know, for this year should be a will probably be a lottery pick. Oladipo is a very good player, not a star player, but you know, good player, and you could probably you could probably flip him at some point. Um, you know, maybe uh, you know. Maybe next year. But I'd much rather have the star. I'd much rather have Ben Simmons back. Um, even if that meant asking for less picks. Like, I, I would have took Ben Simmons in just one first-round pick. Instead of the alleged, you know, three first-round picks they were asking for, to be honest with you. Ben Simmons, another, you know, another role player on Philadelphia, and a first-round pick, and I would have been good. Because the key is Ben Simmons. You're getting an all-star, all-NBA caliber player who's 24 years old with a good contract back, a guy that you can build your team around, a guy who's unselfish, defends, you know, wants to win. So, like, you're shifting your whole culture by getting – you're getting a cornerstone guy back. So I always will take the star player over the draft picks because, listen, this is not the NFL – uh, NBA draft picks, you know, depending on where teams draft at, depending, it can, depending on who's coming out of college, a lot, you know, a lot can happen. There's no, and especially, you know, think about this. They, if guys are allowed to come out of, you know, high school earlier, if guys are allowed to come out of college, go directly from high school to the NBA, the pool of talent coming out of college is going to lessen in the next couple of years, if, if that happens. Oh, I should say when that happens, because it's only a matter of time before that happens. As far as it, you know, as far as the Kyrie Irving situation, um, Kyrie Irving just flat out just doesn't give a fuck. I'm not going to sit up here and, and, and put this on mental, mental health. I'm not going to sit there and sit up here and put this on I don't know, the stress of playing basketball. Kyrie Irving doesn't give a fuck. Is I'm doing this because I can. And the Brooklyn Nets really have nobody to blame but themselves. They empowered Kyrie Irving um, with basically having him think that he's 1A, 
to, uh, to Kevin Durant's one to where he, you know, had a say in picking the coach to where, you know, he's coming out even, you know, even though he only played in a handful of games last year, played about what, 20 games last year, criticizing teammates, criticizing, you know, uh, criticizing the, the level of talent that they had, the quality of talent that they had on the team. Now, you know, we need more pieces. So this, this is what you get. This is what you get when you empower somebody who, frankly, doesn't need to be empowered and empower somebody who's not a leader, period. Kyrie Irving is not a leader of men. He's not He's not somebody. Every situation Kyrie Irving has left um, has gotten better, has improved. But now, you know, Brooklyn is in a position of they do have some leverage because now if I'm Brooklyn, I'm saying, okay, Kyrie, you've been out for a week. Allowed you to clear your thoughts. What, what is going? What, what are you going to do? Do we have? To, I mean, do we really have to start getting lawyers involved in it? Do we? Does it get to a point to where we just have to fine you um, for for every game you miss next? After the NBA, of course, has done this investigation with you know with this party, this party that he went to with uh, maskless. So he's probably going to miss more games. But I, I def, listen. If I'm Brooklyn, obviously you got to wait out, wait to see what the NBA does. But um, I'm sitting them down, saying, well, "What do you want to do?" And we and we need an answer like ASAP. Like we're not going to wait on the answer. We need an answer. And hopefully he gets back on the court and performs. And then around the All Star break, you move him for some pieces and some depth. I do not envision this team with all three of those guys on the, on the team in um, uh, come playoff time. I really don't. I, 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 I definitely don't think Kyrie Irving and, and James Harden can play together. Uh, I, I just don't think that's it's even possible for those two guys to play together. And again, I... Even besides that, from Brooklyn, I, Kyrie Irving cannot be on this team uh, move, moving forward. You just can't. I can't trust you. You just can't trust him. Like, it's New York City. We don't. As, you know, we got too many. We have a couple of young players on this team that, that have never been through through a championship run. We need. You know. You know. We're trying to. You know. Trying to keep Kevin Durant the twenty because he's going. He can opt out in twenty twenty two. So to me, uh, they listen. It's not. It's not a coincidence. I'm telling you, James Harden was Kyrie Irving insurance. The next no, the next notice. Kevin Durant knows this. And the next know that you cannot waste Kevin Durant's prime years and hold those, hold his prime years in the balance of of, of, of depending on Kyrie Irving. This is just not possible. But again, overall, if you look at these trades, look at these superstars that are being traded frequently, before you talk about them, before you call them out for being malcontents, selfish, look at the organization first. Look what the organization is doing or is not or is not doing before you say that. Chances are the organization 
uh, failed, you know, not only the player, but failed their, you know, failed the team as a whole through moves that were made or not made uh, oh, during the tenure of, of that player's uh, career. You know, Oklahoma City, you can see, go back to Oklahoma City with Durant. You know, that wasn't trade. Durant leads. So, hey, look, y'all didn't check Russell Westbrook. You allowed Westbrook to do what he want. You never got, you never got enough shooters. You know what? I've been here for nine years. It's time, time to roll out. Time to roll out. If I got to go to Golden State and collect a couple chips, so be it. And again, I feel, and by the way, I, and I've heard this too well, got to feel bad for Kevin Durant. No, you don't. Kevin Durant knew what time it was when he joined up with Kyrie Irving, or he should know what time it was when he joined up with Kyrie Irving. 100%. Like, this, you know, Kevin Durant, you leave, you leave Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving. Now, when you, went to, when you went from Westbrook to Curry, that was an upgrade. You go from Curry to uh, Kyrie Irving, that's a downgrade. Because Steph Curry is everything that Kyrie Irving is not. He's a leader. He's accountable. For the most part, he's been durable. Doesn't care about how many points he scores. Doesn't care about who gets the credit. Doesn't care about none of that. Kyrie, Steph Curry just wants to win basketball games, period. I do think Brooklyn is the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Um, like I said, I listen. You know they don't have enough rim protection, and they have nothing. They don't have anything for Anthony Davis in regards to the big picture uh, in terms of beating the Lakers. They would need some rim protection. They would definitely need some rim protection, and we'll see what happens with that. But uh, they could definitely scare the hell out of the Lakers. I know with those two players. I mean, period. And again, I think that if, you, if you're Brooklyn, how you play this is you get Kyrie back into the, back into the mix. He goes out there, plays well, and you move him around the trade deadline. Period. Now you say, so well, what about if they gel? Eh, well, if they gel, then you, you might have something special. They or even if they gel, you even if they gel, the chemistry is there. You still need room protection. But if they gel to me, if they gel and the chemistry is there, that's a bonus. The pleasant that'd be a, that you know, I'd be like that's found money as far as I'm concerned. But I don't anticipate that. To, I don't anticipate that to happen. Think you will see. I do not think you will see Kyrie Irving on this team come playoff time. Just don't believe it. But the overall thought to me is when it comes to these these organizations, they have to they they have to find a happy medium between empowering their star, keeping them happy, as well as doing what's best for their respective uh, franchises. Uh, a couple of thoughts before I get up out of here. Uh, Urban Meyer. And I put Myers, it's actually just Meyer. 
uh, is new head coach of Jacksonville. Um, of course, this you know he's taking over at a what at a great time. They're going to have no more pick. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They have 11, 11 draft picks from from pre from previous trades um, or past couple of years. Uh, Jalen Ramsey being one of them included. Um, they, you know, are in a division that is not, you know, they, I mean, you look at that division is not overwhelming. It's pretty good, but it's not, you know, who knows what happens with Deshaun Watson with Houston. Indianapolis quarterback situation could be shaky with Phillip Rivers. I mean, even if he comes back, he'll be, he'll, he'll be 39 years old. And then you have, I'm leaving out somebody, um, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee is very good, but they're not a dominant team. So it's definitely a winnable division. If they that could that that can, you know, that uh, you know, that team could come out of nowhere and make the playoffs and or possibly even win a division. Um, so listen, Urban Meyer is is a great, great coach. And that goes without saying. I think Urban Meyer is a coach who can translate his style to the pros. A lot of pro a number of pro coaches even go to Urban Meyer during the offseason. For to kind of pick his brain about thing about offensive strategies and and, and game and game plans and things of that nature. I just I, I just wonder can Urban Meyer deal with the the grind of the NFL. Uh, Urban Meyer has had health problems, uh, especially at Florida, and you know he he's a perfectionist. We know we know how he hates losing. But I think he, you know, is, is he understands that you're going to lose you're, without question. He'll he'll lose more games in his first year of his year of his career than he lost at Florida and um, in Ohio State combined. Well, maybe not that. Yeah, no. Well, he'll probably lose in his first two years, and let's say in, in two years, he lost in his his whole career combined at those two places. But um, but again, I, I think that. He's the one guy out of college, out of college too, who I would trust. Um, if you get five years out of Meyer, then I think that's great. And if you get five years out of him, that then you know that that's a win. But you know they should be set up for success with all those draft picks, and again having the most important pick, and that's the number one pick, and getting of course getting Trevor Lawrence. Of course, you have Alabama just continuing, you know, on their dynasty, continuing to continue to extend his dynasty. A couple of years ago, uh, Alabama got smacked um, by Clemson, and that was, I think it was like 44-18. And then, you know, last, the pre, I think last, last year they weren't even in the, you know, didn't even make the playoffs last year. And there were some, you know, just whispers and wonderings about, you know, was Nick Saban was out? Was was the dynasty over? Would Alabama ever be the same? Things just ridiculous stuff. And you know, they just basically took it was it was just they just basically gave everybody the finger this year with that performance. They were a dominant team. They basically destroyed everybody with the exception of Florida. Um, that performance. Uh, again, against Ohio, against a very good Ohio State team, a good Ohio State team was spectacular, to say the least. And you know, it, this thing doesn't end until Nick Saban retires. 
like I was texting somebody the other day, he might win 10 national championships. It will not end until Nick Saban's out of here, uh, decides to step down. And it doesn't seem that that's going to happen anytime soon. So uh, definitely congratulations to them. That's title number seven for Saban. He breaks the tie with with, with the legendary Bear Bryant. So, um, yeah, everybody is getting <laughs> – the standards are so high. If Alabama goes one year without winning a championship, or to let alone, God forbid, two years, then the program is just completely falling off the falling off the cliff. That is what people expect out of Alabama, year in and year out, championship or bust. Um, and I'll say this: I think they're the greatest sports dynasty since the uh, '60s Celtics. To be honest with you, I really do. I think they're you know six championships in twelve years. Um, with everybody chasing you uh, in the toughest conference in the, in the SEC year in and year out, it is remarkable, beyond remarkable, what they do year in and year out. It's going to wrap it up for this latest edition, this abbreviated edition of the Real Deal podcast. I will put this up. They'll probably have this up on Friday morning. I will see you later. See you uh, on my next podcast with the Wire Remix Episode Four uh, Alliances. Yeah, that, that'll be the next episode. So I will see you. Uh, see you then. Enjoy the playoffs. So long.